0: Hello and welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from CASH. Thanks for joining us. My name's Dawn and I'm the editor of CASH Alumni. Today I'm talking to Adam Chapman. Adam, can you tell us a little bit about you, please?
1: My name's Adam. Um, I'm a uh, curriculum manager for um, early years at a uh, further education college Mm -hmm. in the eastern Northamptonshire. Um, I have... Uh, been doing, I've been in FE for four years, coming up to five years now. Um, I've been teaching for all of that time. Um, I have done um, cash qualifications previously, um, to lead me to go to university, etc. Um, and I come from a very uh, early education sector background, um, so um, I very much enjoy my job. Um, and um, one of the group of people that have launched this exciting hashtag called um, hashtag EY tag team, which is really launching at the moment. Um, and yeah so, my, yeah, so that's my background, really. Um, and um, I am. Um, very excited to see what the future holds.
2: It sounds like things are really exciting at the minute, um, and I've been really fortunate to be able to be part of that Ay Twitter tag team, um, which has been really helpful in terms of looking at best practice and helping to look at things that are topical within the sector, so that I can go away and do a little bit more research, so that we can support our members with different um, stuff that's going on sort of within the hashtag, within the sector in general. Um, obviously that is the purpose of what we do here so that's been a really nice little synergy that sort of happened um, where that's all happened at the same time which has been great um, we started talking because um, obviously of the EY Twitter tag team um, and we had talked a little bit about um, men in early years you mentioned that your background um, is in early years education um, but you've been in SE for quite a long time um, and we're only really starting to see some sort of media coverage and some drive to get more men into early ed education. education. Um, is that something that, that you've seen throughout your career?
1: I, was, and, 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 I think this is a really relevant topic and um, we talk about this quite a lot with the level threes at the moment but what I'm noticing in particular is that so within my own experience i've been very fortunate in the fact that i've only ever been opened i've only ever been welcomed into the early years sector with open arms i've only ever been treated as as everyone else would be regardless of how female dominated the sector is um and i've noticed in the last couple of years there has been a slight increase i would say slight increase um less than 10 in the last couple of years that I've been teaching it but I think I've only taught a grand total of about eight males in my earliest classrooms regardless of whether it's level two or level five um, and um, they have usually been excellent in practice they're not intimidated by the fact that they are in a female-dominated classroom I too when I was doing my level three um, diploma I was the only boy in the classroom and say boy because I was younger then but um, I was only male in the classroom um, at level two and level three um, and the, and all I can say from going out on visits and talking to staff in sector that this is exactly what the sector craves they're looking for male influence um, and I've only ever had positive experience.
2: That, 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 that's brilliant um, and I know that obviously were have heard recently from from nursery world about some stigma that that male practitioners have faced in terms of changing nappies and concerns from parents um which floored me really because i didn't realize that we still lived in a world where people thought differently about men and women in terms of their ability or their 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 suitability to to interact with children in that way um i thought Uh, all of that had disappeared in the 90s
1: um no i've i have seen and i have witnessed through peers within I've worked with previously, that they've almost, that males have almost been demonised in that respect. They can do everything else, but not that stuff that we just spoke about. Um, and I think it's due to kind of the stuff that is overburdened to us through the media.
2: Do you have any idea as to, to what
1: causes that? And I think yeah. we are battling a historically gendered issue in terms of because of how low-paid the role is, Potentially, how you know underutilised and how underappreciated the sector is doesn't tend to attract males. Women go for it because of how uh, potentially there's flexible working options with it. Uh, Potentially, it works around childcare issues, etc. But regardless of that, I think we've got a real historic gendered issue here that we just aren't ready to move on from. And I think we do need to seriously consider our attitudes and our dispositions towards it because we're not going to attract quality practitioners if our attitudes don't change.
2: So I totally agree and um, I have a theory that one of the things that we need to do to, to restore the balance in not just early years we see very similar patterns um, within health and social care um, and people caring for maybe older relatives and mm. sort of people you know who, who give up work to, to fulfill those unpaid care roles as well um, mm. and I, I, strongly believe that one of the ways that we need to redress that balance is to look at the disparity between maternity and paternity pay. Um, I I feel like if if, if we don't give men the opportunity to be part of their own children's early childhood by leveling that playing field um, and making it clear that it is just as much a a man's responsibility to nurture and care for his children as it is.
1: We talk about this as part of um, we talk about this as part of unit fourteen with the third year sorry the second year level threes at the moment and we look at um, and we looked at the, of um, different family structures and what the role of the male what the uh, what the uh, role of the father is with that and we looked at the disparity between paternity and maternity pay and we looked at the fact that and we um, and we managed to draw some stories out of the students on this and they said that anyone any male person they've got in their family that's decided to take that maternity so they went out of work and the woman went to work perhaps because of the salary indifference or something like that it was almost looked at you know that the man is comfortable because the woman's earning more and perhaps that's that's frowned upon and I just find it fascinating because you know we should be encouraging fathers to stay at home if they can and you know we you know we should be celebrating the fact that women earn more than ever before than than men you know we have got a gender disparity in terms of pay generally across the country but it's nowhere near as much of an issue as it was and I think that potentially we have got an issue there again with disposition and attitude and you know are we demonising males because they want to stay at home when their baby's young
2: yeah and, and I think that it does seem that that is a much sort of more frowned upon thing than a woman taking time out to care but, but I, I, I do think that there's a lot we need to do as a society not just as a sector um to to, to sort of alleviate that gendered gap um, in services yeah,
1: um, yeah
2: absolutely n- Men in childcare is not however um, the main focus of of the stuff that you do, Um, obviously it is a big issue and it it permeates um, the whole sector in terms of the the gender balance and the way that things work, Um, but one of the best ways to combat that is just to highlight all of the amazing things that practitioners do as a whole, whether they're male or female, um, and some of the stuff that you've done with your learners um, and the, the things that they've gone on to achieve since being part of an, an early years classroom and, and actually wow. learning those skills. Um, you mentioned that early years is sort of looked down upon um, by by people or that people don't fully understand um, the role of an early years practitioner. Could you say a little bit more about that?
1: Sure. I think that early years is largely misunderstood. Um, I think that... Um, where I come from, and particularly with working across the EY um, Twitter tag team and talking to different people who work in different ethnic colleges, etc., the earlier's department is traditionally always smaller, um, and it's always traditionally smaller than the health and social care counterpart. Um, and as a result of that, the voices are less because there's less people delivering on on it. Um, and then, as a result of that, the student numbers are less. I would say when you say to someone and this has always been a complicated thing whenever someone says oh what's your job Adam and I have to really think about what I say without confusing someone so if I say I deliver earliest study programs and earliest foundation degrees people don't know what it is so then I have to say something along the lines of oh I, I teach teaching assistants or I teach training teachers and it becomes unnecessarily complicated And I would argue a lot of people probably say the same thing. So whenever I get asked what my job is, I almost dread it in a way because I have to go into this huge spiel every time about what my job is and what I deliver because it's not... It's much easier if you're a primary school teacher because you just say, I'm a primary school teacher, but for me and to other people who deliver it, it's very different. It's very different and very... and and it's completely unnecessarily difficult and I think because it is misunderstood because people don't know what it is
2: yeah and and I think that we can see that in the way that it's reported on so um, for example we see stuff about primary school and standards and um, the way that primary school teaches children Um, Um. but we don't see a lot about early years teaching Um, we see a lot about nurseries and early years preparing children for school which is not really the purpose of early years education? I mean, what do you think that we can do to change that? I think we
1: are essentially seeing a marrying up of two very similar issues. Early years is underappreciated, and so is further education. It's only recently, dare I say, since our new prime minister has been in post, that we've seen any focus on SCE in the last 10 years. And I think because we've got two of the most ignored sectors at the forefront of the issue that we're discussing at the moment, I'm potentially seeing that we have got an issue of public ignorance potentially because of how they've been given no choice but to ignore it, because it's not as important as potentially uh, primary education, secondary education, or even higher education being so politicised and marketised as it is at the moment. Um, I think that's potentially a marrying of issues there.
2: Yeah, I, I, I can I can see that um, and I think that, your right in the earlier than further education on neglected in somewhat the same way, um, in that people don't really understand what it is um, or how it works, Um, I think traditionally or at least in in my lifetime was thought of education as academic education, Um, and that is, you know, people think of reading, writing, arithmetic as being that that is education, the other stuff is fluffy in life, and that's not true. Um, I think that health and social care suffers in a very similar way to early years. Um, It's those caring careers Um, and in a way it's really sad because actually they're two sectors where practitioners who work in those sectors actually have to bring their whole self to work every day, they can't have a bad day, they can't.
1: You can't, you can't just go home and switch off. And I, (laughs) I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends work in the private sector and they can walk away from it and not feel anything and that's why one of my tweets very recently was you know because I've got a lot of student issues at the moment in terms of me taking ownership of them and dealing with them personally it's where you draw the line and I think that you as educators and as people in caring professions we're dealing with human beings of real issues and it's very real to them and naturally because we because the sector attracts people who genuinely care about the individual when they really really do and you know we put our heart and soul into everything and that's why I'm so looking forward to half term just to have a bit of a breather but um, it's I think it's evident in the attitudes on the hashtag ey 12 tag team looking at all of the perspectives that people are holding you know we are putting our heart and soul into actual human beings with real issues consistently for a consistent amount of time and it does become emotionally
2: taxing, I think. Yeah, and and I think it's easy to see how it can become emotionally taxing because again, there isn't that option to chuck a day's holiday in and have a day for yourself. Um, in the same way that y- you would be able to if you weren't in a in a sort of teaching position or you weren't counting in ratios or you were just in a normal desk job. You know, when it all gets too much, you can take a couple yeah. of days out and you can come back and it's it's all right again. Um, yeah. do you think that um? in terms of early years part of the issue is people not understanding play um, and the benefits of play and actually how structured and directed and molded um, the activities that children do within an early yeah. year set in terms of I, the development.
1: Yeah so um, I can because I was one of those people um, and I'm yeah. self-admitted of here. so um, when I left school um, I hadn't achieved what I would have wanted out my GCSEs, and I took at vocational education as an option. And I got open to early years as a vocation as a result of what I chose to study. And because I was adamant at that time in my life that I wanted to be a practical teacher, and before I'd ever uh, I'd ever gone out to placement, I had very much the attitude of I don't understand the purpose of play. And I think I had been witness to really poor practice as a result of that. Yeah. And as an impressionable young person, you see practices oh okay that's just how it is then obviously years on I, I know a lot better and I've passed this on to my foundation degree students and and, and my students but unfortunately I feel that practice generally and you know there are some fantastic settings out there and I've gone I've gone out and seen them and I've spoken to them and you know and it and you know it doesn't it, it only takes someone with the right mindset and of the right you know skill set and development and everyone else to actually do it properly but I think a lot of our and what I was experienced to as well and, and exposed to. I was exposing myself to poor practice and therefore my attitude towards play was negative and it only took me to go to a really fantastic setting to make me think i oh, actually know the, the benefits of play is evidence. I think if I had that as someone who knows better, I'd dread to think what the public domain thinks because I think it is largely misunderstood. And a lot of research yeah, suggests that, that concept of how it's misunderstood.
2: Yeah, because that, that's you as an early as practitioner coming across bad practice. And I have no doubt that the settings that you were in had really good intentions of doing the best things that they possibly could for those children yeah, in no terms of education, that. but just didn't have the knowledge and the awareness of neurological development of children and how that all works in terms of play and figuring things out. Um, so, yeah, you're yeah, yeah, right in terms of it, it is concern and that actually it might be worse in, in society in general in terms of how that's seen um, I mean how can people expose themselves to better practice
1: I, all, and I say this to my level 4s and level 5s all the time we need to do and instead of I don't want to go into a big political thing here but I don't think that politicians telling us, with no background of the education sector they're making decisions on, on what we should be doing is helpful. I think we should learn from each other, and I think, and I encourage my students to visit each other in practice. And when they do it, they don't see the purpose of it originally, but when they do, they see how people do things differently, and I think we need to widen up our horizons on how practice should be, and and how it shouldn't be, and have that really open dialogue about you know, and through the reflective practice stuff that we always embed within our students. We should be talking to them about that. Okay, that didn't go well, what can we do to make it better? Because the children need to benefit here and our practice needs to benefit. Really kind of high level pedagogic thinking here. And I think that we need to learn from each other. We need to be encouraging peer on peer support. We need to be encouraging peer on peer, you know, not observations, but looking at practice, looking at how good practice can be, how it could be improved, create that supportive dialogue. And I think that's what the hashtag intends to do, and I think that's what we should be doing. And and unfortunately, I don't think a lot of citizens have the capacity to do that. But I think we should have the opportunity to learn from each other rather than people dictating how it should be.
2: Yeah, and I think it's it's a bit of a catch-22 sometimes, isn't it? Because people want to have the capacity to visit other settings, to do some CPD, to grow as practitioners and to, to widen their horizons. But actually, there are 150,000 unfilled vacancies in early years at the moment. Um, yeah. And it can be really difficult for settings to release practitioners to, to do any work in terms of their own development and staying up to date yeah. with what's going on in the sector. Um, Obviously, we've got EYT, a tag team, um, holding things um, together on Twitter in terms of people Sharing best practice and sharing their wins as well. Um, and, yep. and we've got Cash Alumni that does more of that um, case studies, sharing best practice in terms of um, very easy to read but well referenced articles about playing, about different pedagogy, and, and different stuff to help people to, to professionalise their own practice. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of that sharing wins and sharing things that have gone well, um, how do you feel about? the way that early years practitioners discuss their own practice or discuss what it is that they do for a living. Um, in my experience, people who look after other people for a living are sometimes the worst people at talking about their own skills and, and sort of digging themselves up or talking about the things that they're good at, um, yeah. which can have a negative impact on overall perceptions of the sector because when someone says, oh, I'm just a nursery nurse... That sort of denigrating all of our nursery nurses too. yeah make and I think
1: yeah, I think potentially there is some potentially damaging dialogue there in terms of pride of the workforce, and I think if we if we just focus a little bit less on ignoring the sector that's basically providing the foundations of a particularly damaging national curriculum we've got at the moment, because I believe the UIFS is actually a pretty good curriculum, all things considered. <laughs> And I think that it's correct it could create a damaging dialogue between people who have pride in their practice and where they work and what they do. Um, but that's not the impression I'm getting from anyone I've spoken to. I think cause I think if you're meeting like-minded people, particularly on the um, hashtag, I think that generally comes across as very positive and I think that we should be proud of making it making early years front and centre and you know making it you know a really powerful platform for people to really talk to each other and create that really positive forward-thinking dialogue um, but even with my students who I teach and they are currently in practice at the moment you know it's, I, I teach work-based learning foundation degrees and they are positive forward-thinking progressive people who want to better practice and want to better the future of children's lives and I think that Whilst I think
2: that dialogue is evident elsewhere, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, and I, and I, I, I totally agree. Um, I think that it, having those supportive environments where people feel comfortable talking in, 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 in about their practice and, and raising the esteem of the sector sort of internally, so things like the hashtag where we've got lots of early years professionals together, um, all talking about ways to make things better, that's brilliant. Um, where I think that Nevius falls down. Um, is where Early Years Professionals are talking to other people about what they do. Um, Mm. Where I'm at an event, I say, oh, so what do you do for a living? I'll always hear the word just in the answer. I'm just a teacher. I'm just an Early Years Worker. I just work in a nursery. Um, And I don't know why that is. I don't know whether that is a reflection of society's Mm. views and people maybe not feeling comfortable. Yeah.
1: Um, I was thinking, are we potentially seeing staff feeling undervalued due to the fact that the sector is generally undervalued? Um, And are we seeing a complete lack of government priority and therefore having to do more with less? Are we potentially seeing that rubbing off then, potentially, because, you know, it could create very toxic staff rooms if that's
2: the case That that, that, that is maybe the case and um, that it is a, a sort of a societal issue with the sector feeling undervalued and um, I think it might be possible that it's also an issue in terms of the way that we direct people towards the sector and um, you yeah. said that you you came to the sector because you didn't do very well academically and um, mm. vocational education was then offered to you and um, but if you had done well academically you would never have been introduced to early years um, no, but actually never. you're really passionate about it and you're an amazing person to have in the sector do you think mm. that we need to do more with careers advice to operate from a person-centred view of what the people should do for a living rather than directing towards academia it's really, funny.
1: It's really funny you mentioned that because I spoke to this I spoke to my quality team about this the other day about the attitudes that our students have and a lot of the teenagers we have in the classroom at the moment either have working with animals or working with children on their mind because they think it's easy. They think dogs are cute and childrens are cute, and um, you know six forms have to promote vocational education now. Previously, they would hold on the students as much as they could for six forms.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, we are seeing students that come in in the first six weeks of their level two, level three, go out to placement realise that work for children isn't easy and they realise it's not for them and I think potentially we need to reintroduce and this was part, this was absolutely part of my school experience in secondary school I think there needs to be more of emphasis on work experience in school and I think that if they want to work with children go out and work with children for a couple of weeks Months if they can do it, or you know, keep volunteer if you can, promote that. You know, we want that employability in our, in our young people and make it clear that whilst, yes, we are a vocational pathway, it's not easy, it's exhausting work, but it's so rewarding at the same time, and we are seeing that evidence every
2: year with students yeah. who come to us it does seem to be unique to, to the caring part of vocational education yeah. as well um, you, nobody looks at a bricklayer and says oh you've got it easy mate that, that it, it they know it's a skills job and that it's hard graft um, we seem to, to think because caring is something that is peopley and is warm and is, is in some respects fluffy because it has to be um we don't see the actual technical value in in what it actually provides is is there anything that you think that we could do
1: i think there needs to be a drastic shift in policy i think we need to look at the way that we market the sector and i think we need to look at the way that we sell it what young people tend to get mixed up with is being a caring person and going into a care profession and uh, everyone cares everyone can care about something you know They can care about the fact they're going for lunch that day because they're hungry. It could be as little as that. But actually going into a caring profession, that's different. And people are relying on you to get through their day-to-day. And that's where it's different. Looking
2: at the EYFS, um, it's quite cleverly structured in terms of being able to then be the foundation for lots of different types of pedagogy. So you can run a Montessori nursery and hit all of the markers of the EYFS. You can run a uh, Regio style nursery and hit all the markers of the EYFS. You can hit you can you can run a, a, a setting that doesn't particularly conform to one theorist or another in terms of the the, the way that they run their early air setting. But they can use a pick and mix of styles to hit all of those benchmarks in the EYFS. Um just mm. there are Theorist, or do you have a favourite theorist, or is there that there's someone that you think really had a, a really insightful view and got it majoratively right in terms of the way that they look at it? Are we talking theory of
1: velocity, or philosophy? Oh, there's evil? a
2: question.
1: Yeah, Neither. because philosophy. <laughs> is my favourite theory to deliver is Rothenbrenner He is my doubt okay. my favourite because I think he makes a lot of sense. And once you get him, he makes sense of everyday life. And I think once we understand the experiences of children in different contexts and different locales and environments, that ultimately shapes what a child is going to be like. And he is my favourite theory. Um, I, in terms of philosophy, um, I'm, I'm an advocate of Reggio. I would say. Um, I value that a lot, um, but if I'm going to choose one overall, I would say and Brenner, without doubt my 100% favourite theory to deliver, no. and i to understand, and, I think so. And
2: what, what is it that makes that sort of the best one for understanding how that works? Um, what makes his theory such a standout example of how we should look at children's because,
1: you, it allows you to look at children holistically, and it allows you to look at them in the different locales that they go through in day-to-day experiences, and how different events and different environments shape children's experiences. And you could relate it to social class, you can relate it to the education of a child, you can relate it to parental education. There's so many different avenues you can look at, and I think not many not many series allow you to take a perspective of a child and look at it from a wider lens. And that's what Brock and Brenner offers, I think.
2: Really? Um, do you think that we understand enough about adverse childhood experience and, and neurology and um, yeah when or neuroscience when it comes to to education?
1: Yeah, I think if you're well trained and if you're well educated in that area then you have no choice but to be because it underpins everything that we do. Um what I think we don't know enough about is and this is my particular research interest, is um the technological age that children are being brought up in because there's so much unknown with it Um, and for parents, practitioners, children you know they're educating adults on how these things work Um, and as a result of that I think in 10 years time when we have FE colleges around delivering very different qualifications we're going to have a very different audience um, and I think that that's the big unknown. Um, I'd like to think practitioners are clued up on neuroscience, but it depends really. I think if you frame it as neuroscience, people think that you're talking about something biological and you're not. You're talking about how children are brought up and how they're shaped. So that would be my perspective on
2: that. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I think everything I've... that we've discussed is, is, is really valuable in terms of trying to, to raise awareness and support those aims. Um, I am quite conscious that I have kept you longer than an hour. Is there anything that you'd like to leave our audience with as a as a final thought, or is there anything really important that you'd like people to to think yeah. about um, about any of the stuff we've talked about, or just around the sector in general?
1: I, I believe that um, that as a, as a male in the sector, we've got a real the issues around it are really relevant and really troubling, um, and I think we need to continue making noise and using our hashtag. So #eyewitnesstaxi. We have a real shining community of practice of people who genuinely care about the children that we look after uh, and we educate. We've got educators from all different walks of life um, working together to make sure that regardless of how underfunded, how under-ignored, how underutilized that the sector or the government feels the sector is, we are still making noise and we are not going to stop until we're listened to and we are positive forward-thinking, progressive professionals in the sector, all all of us are, and we are ready to make change. And we will make change if we are given the utilities to do so, and we're given the resources to do so. If anyone wants to join our community of practice, then please use the hashtag, please follow us. You know, we are um, like-minded, really positive and progressive people, and we're using this platform that Dawn has very kindly given to us um, to really make a shout and make a noise about. So, if you want to come and make some noise, join the hashtag and join our mission because we are not going to stop until we are listening to that, That's brilliant.
2: Thanks, Adam. Um, and just before I let you go properly, um, if any of our listeners wanted to find more about you or about the work that you do, I know that you're not just in the hashtag, you're quite active elsewhere within the early yep. years. Yeah. Um, do you want to find people towards where they can find more about you specifically?
1: Of course, yeah. Um, so my Twitter handle is A-S-N-T so, um, AS Chapman 91 um, on Twitter and my LinkedIn is um, is my name, Adam Chapman, um, and I work for the Bedford College Group in the east of um, Northamptonshire. So, um, if you want to get in touch or if you want to touch base with me, uh, my email's on my LinkedIn page. Um, I'm happy to chat. Um, i like to think I'm a nice person, <laughs> so I'm not going to put anyone off.
2: Oh, thank you so much for your time, Adam. It's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. And
0: thanks to you if you've got some best practice or you'd like to share with us um, something great uh, you can get in touch with us at alumni at cash.org.uk that's alumni a-l-u-m-n-i at cash c-a-c-h-e for echo dot org.uk, and we'd love to speak to you you can find us at the cash alumni website at www.cashalumni the main cash website for information about qualifications and SAPD at www.cechev.org.uk. Thanks very much and until next time, take care.